You're listening to Personal Rejection Letter, the podcast by writers with day jobs. Daniels. I'm Holly Griffith. And I'm Dan Libman, calling in today from far away. Welcome to the second podcast. Well, since this was the second episode, we thought it might be important to revisit some of the mistakes we made in the previous episode. Assuming we made errors. Nota bene, as you will. Kelly, would you like to start? Oh, I, I think it's interesting that when you think of errors, you immediately just go right to me without <laughs> even any uh, preamble. Uh, I yeah. we've had a lot of uh, a lot of practice apologizing to them. <laughs> Not enough, apparently. But um, yeah, I guess first off, it's just interesting being a writer, which we get to revise and revise, and more than we want, especially if you get to publication when you have editors telling you to fix things after you've already spent months thinking you'd fixed it. And so by the time you get something published, it's pretty close to what you wanted to say, or you're just so worn out by the process that you just don't care anymore. So it's real interesting being in this live recording atmosphere where you get one chance to say it. And so almost everything that I said, I probably could go back and think I could have done that better or, and there was quite a lot of, I don't know if I really believe that. And uh, (laughs) so the one thing I, I guess I would sort of apologize for is um, picking on the goldfinch based on its title, like that's like the worst thing ever. I, I would hate that if somebody said that to me. Like, put down a book, especially a book I liked, based on its title, not having read the book. And so uh, I, I think I could have made my point about, I don't know, the how the book industry is not trying to get men interested in reading novels these days. I probably could have done that, used a better example than the goldfinch. So, I, so I. Um, Apologize to all the Goldfinch fans, and I'm sure that's a very good book, and it's not a bad title. Um, the title is the example of the secret history. That's our other book. That's a good title. Um, what about how all the titles that have girl in them? That's a oh. better example because, you know, it's so kind of obviously a marketing thing, and I doubt many of those authors really wanted the title to be that. It's just like, you know, a publisher saying, no, we're going to go with this. And um, and it's also putting girl in so many novel titles. It's not exactly like a feminist war cry. It's kind of insulting. You know, it's right. a diminishment of ain't she cute. So I think that's a better, better than the goldfinch and also not specific to one writer and also not blaming the writers for it. Probably would have better been a better way to go. Yeah, one like of a them, series of like a dude with a dragon tattoo or right. the dude right. on the train himself. I think boy, this boy's life by Tobias yeah. Wolf. But uh, I think you had a valid point. I think you were you were right in in your frustration with the market not looking at at a certain faction of readers who want to be an audience. You know. I, I think that your frustration was completely valid. Well, I think. Holly, what about you? I have made no errors, and I admit to nothing. <laughs> I feel like everything I said was right on the money. 
as early as it was. I, you know, I don't, I don't, um, not listening to it after you do it, it helps with that impression. Yeah, too, I I, exactly. <laughs> I've had very little time. So I, I think I, I listened to a few minutes and then I, I reflected, uh, just now, just, just right now. And I, you know, I'm good. I feel like uh, I'm good. Awesome. That must be a nice feeling. Yeah, it is. It is a good feeling. You're it, younger than us, right, Holly? Yeah, I, I try so. to regret nothing, mostly because I spend a lot of time feeling like I regret everything. Um, outwardly, I, I must put on the appearance that I regret nothing, and I regret. If regret is a zero-sum game, then I, I'm doing all the regretting for you. So <laughs> I, I generally regret everything as soon as I say it. And uh, I also was not able to listen to the show in its entirety, so I wasn't able to download it. But I, I, I regret, as a noted funny man, I regretted a joke that I made that didn't go over. And, and it, was, it, it was directed at you, Holly, when I said, you, you mentioned uh, your partner, and I said, what does his family do for a living? And that, to me, that's a funny joke to always say, like, immediately to somebody that you know for a long time. And it just didn't go over on the podcast. So I apologize for that. Oh, that's wow. My I, I still don't remember that. I don't remember that at all. I don't remember it being funny, and I still don't. Yeah. But um, <laughs> not had I delivered it better, you would have. It would have been a, a big laugher. You know what? I blew a joke big time, and this is my other regret. My second biggest, maybe even the biggest, at the very end. Remember how I forgot to um, to plug my book, and I was very envious of you, Dan, that you'd plugged your book with a real kind of witty little thing that you'd obviously kind of written up beforehand. I thought, why didn't I do that? That would have been. <laughs> And then at the very end, I did the thing that you, Dan, have kind of complained to me about many times over the years we've known each other, that you don't like it when people just repeat your joke and act as if they're being funny, too. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah. And that's but I don't remember you doing that. I did that. I said, I used your same promo code joke. Oh. I said, oh, man, how come I didn't get to plug my book? And then I did it real quick. Cloudbreak California promo code reject, which was exactly word for word your joke at the very beginning. And what I should have said, I should have said something to the effect of um, exclusive offer, $1 less than any other books from this podcast. Oh, <laughs> you would have layered it. That would have been awesome. But, and, then, and then you could have even come back with, okay, I'm going to put my book on sale for $1. Oh, that would have been a burn. This is a good. I think we should just delete the whole episode. Yeah, yeah <laughs> this is a good sample. This is a good condensed um, sample of how writers generally feel just guilty exactly right. and over analytical yeah. yeah i regret um i regret not being prepared in life yeah <laughs> generally generally I i'm unprepared you guys are way i mean as far as this podcast you guys are on it i i i for i don't check my emails anymore i feel just horrible well you're horrible the talent the talent doesn't check emails the talent shows up drunk late well, that that's just how it could works. happen <laughs> Exactly. I regret that. going to the karaoke bar last night. Oh. And why? hearing a country song that is just so stupid that I'm just angry about it still. Like too much <laughs> anger in my life. But it was about okay, you guys may have heard it, maybe not. Whiskey for my men, beer for my horses. Wow. And I was just and first it was karaoke, so it was not delivered well. And I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Beer? Who would give their horse beer that's not cool uh you know along that same lines i heard a a great uh bad country song um called i was listening it was on, on in the background somebody else had turned it on uh, and 
it was something along the lines of man that girl sure does know how to fish like that was the title <laughs> um and I like it. and i stopped what i was doing or was and it just fishing no i think i think he was talking about her just fishing like he appreciated her fishing habits and um i don't know i had a hard time connecting with that song and identifying exactly what the hell was going on in a more enlightened universe, that wouldn't even be a noteworthy attribute. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Country music is really kind of sunk. It used to be the best lyrics, and now it's the worst. Yeah, good just... storytelling. So maybe we should uh, segue into the topic of today's podcast, which is the uh, reading fees that literary journals charge people to submit their work in the guise of uh, possibly, uh, well, the, the, the way it works, everybody, most people who are listening probably know that you write a short story, you write a poem, and you have to submit it to a series of journals before it gets taken. Probably, Holly, you submit it to one or two journals. I have to submit it to about 30 journals. My hit rate is pretty low. And then, and then they take it. But now lately, or maybe in the last couple of years, you're seeing this more and more, magazines are charging reading fees. You have to pay three bucks, which is nominal. It doesn't seem like much, except it adds up. It's like me, you have to submit it to 30 places. Sure. So we were going to sort of bat this around a little bit. Um, I, I, I'll hold off on, on my thoughts on it. Uh, either one of you guys want to jump in first? Well, I know that Holly is like in a different, she's more of a grassroots. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe Holly, you could start us off by the <laughs> anti. Well, um, I I kind of have a different method for getting my work out, and that is I keep it you know, at a grassroots level, I have a fan base that is local. And I like to think that if my work is going to go anywhere, it starts kind of in the nucleus of where I am at and it spreads out by word of mouth and people who are fans and it, you know, kind of just, uh, uh, it's tendrils kind of start to reach out, um, on into the East and the West and the North and the South. And I, I don't, I don't, uh, submit my stuff to a lot of publications uh, I find well and it's different too because you know I write other stuff other than poetry but um, but poetry is difficult to make you just don't make money in it period even right. even when you're accepted it's you know you really do need to die in order for something to happen and you know it, with that type of thinking it's hard for me to uh, justify spending a dollar uh, let alone, you know, $50, $60 to get my stuff read throughout uh, various publications. But what I have found is that I have, uh, by doing this, I've had a very successful growing fan base. I, I can say that as a poet, I can go to a variety of places and I have been approached by a variety of different people who know my name and, and who have heard my work by word of mouth. And and uh, people that I don't know who introduce themselves to me, that's a unique experience as as a as a poet, um, and something that I don't think I could find if I was spending all my time submitting to publications. So that's that's kind of my method right now. It's interesting. Well, can I just ask you how do you initially get your work in front of your or people who are following your work? How do how do they see it? Is it on a blog or are you reading um, I've, I've read it in, in public in various okay. public forums and um, you know I did a pachacacha at the Figgy Museum that was really successful and very well attended 
uh, I was the resident poet for the Midwest Writers Center, and and I um, was involved in a few different readings with that, uh, local venues, and um, also through St. Ambrose, um, they have a, a journal of literary and visual arts, and my stuff right. was published in there, and a few years, and and so, but word of mouth is powerful. I mean, if you think about it, businesses rely on word of mouth. Uh, why shouldn't writers, uh, you know, rely on word of mouth in that same in that same vein? So, well, businesses also use print advertising and sure. uh, you know radio and TV, and so it all uh, it all adds up. But no, I admire your starting with the person to person reading, and uh, and that's how I got to know your work, Holly. So. It works, and I think that that all the time I've spent submitting to journals, especially early when I first started, and that was before spending, you know, they charged, but it still costs money to to print and to do the uh, postage and all that. And I think that's part of the justification for the reading fees is you would have had to pay for a buck fifty for a story for postage anyway, not even including the paper and, and you know ink, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, it's an enormous amount of time and also just researching the journals and when you get almost 100% rejections which I think it is just inevitable especially when you first start it really feels like you're just smashing your head against the wall and then nowadays I kind of came by the nowadays I I just have to say that I got in on the Sun magazine um, I have an essay actually in the December issue which is out right now and the sun. Well done. Thank you. Everything that I write that is short and self-contained, I send to the sun. There's no reason to send it anywhere else because they pay a thousand bucks for a piece and they have 70,000 readers and they're really sweet and cool. And it's... so anyway, that's just something I lucked into last uh, year or so. Um, there's a lot of different kinds of reading fees, though. There's the three dollar one. There's the dollar fifty one. And then there's contests where you pay 10 bucks, and that's just like playing the lottery. You pay in, and then you're going to get paid. And then there's the book publishing, you know, 20 bucks, 25 bucks, 30 bucks. Um, Dan, a friend of ours, I won't mention his name because I don't know if he wants to be. Now, this friend of ours, Dan, is super successful, awesome writer, has a bunch of books. He's got nothing to be ashamed of. But, you know, he sent a, something out to this contest, and he won it by his because he's good. The moment he won, they, they didn't ever, there's no second book. That, and, it, and it looked like a really good website, but it was a scam. They, they oh. took almost all the money that they got for it, paid him $1,000. And he got a book that was not promoted. It was probably print on demand is my guess. Oh, and wow. it's yeah. just this kind of worthless book that he has in this oeuvre of really nice, you know, better books or better taken care of book. So you got to be careful out there. Um, and so... The bigger problem for me is looking at it from the presses and the literary journals point of view is that the thing that we do, and this is the heartbreaking part about it, but it's a reality. It doesn't have a market value in the capitalist economy that we happen to live in. Obviously, these stories and stuff that we write don't have monetary value, and that's why we're having to pay. That's why we're funding our own books through a lottery-like thing where the writers are paying for publication, which is the same thing that happened on the Sunset Strip during the hair metal era of the 80s. I kind of lived around there then. And you had to pay to play all the 
cool clubs that used to that sprung the careers of the of the Doors and Frank Zappa and you know all those cool sixties right. bands. And now and then you had to pay you had to buy the tickets ahead of time if you were the band, which just meant that you had to just pay a whole bunch of money and then hope somebody would buy your tickets or mostly you would just give them away. It's a there's a rich tradition of artists uh, paying for the world to see their art. Yeah. And I yeah, Song of Myself was self published. Tough gig. Walt Whitman, self publisher. No so is all that on these on the Ice Men I I don't know nothing, but a lot of that stuff is but you know, uh, you mentioned contest, and a contest to me is a different thing because you know at the end of it, at least one person is going to get up. You know, it's like a lottery thing. But the the problem for me with reading fees of just regular literary journals is there's no guarantee that anybody's going to get published. They could just be collecting all that money and then saying all the work that they get is not up to standards or they've got other people, bigger-named writers who aren't paying, you know, people who for whom they've solicited material submitting uh, that they're going to publish instead. It, to me, it's like charging somebody to apply for a job, and then the job might not even exist. You might right, you yeah. show up there and you paid your money, and you're you're wearing your suit. And I know that it's different when you're you're you know you you have faith in your own stories, but that doesn't necessarily translate to other people believing in them as well. And so um, I think that it, I think it's actually highly unethical for a, a magazine, literary journal, to be charging people who are submitting work to it for reading these. Yeah. That's where I would come down on that. And I do think that a contest is different. And even that publishing thing that you mentioned, if they're gonna if, if a press is committed to publishing a book at the end, well then that is a contest. And if you want to get involved in it, it's yeah. not exactly uh, you know, it's not a high minded endeavor perhaps, but maybe it is. Well some of the contests are good because they actually use the money they get for marketing. They'll pay the writer and then they'll market the book with another two or three thousand bucks, and then and the presses do need to exist. They need to. Not all of them have external funding. Um, it, to me, it comes down to two two real broad kind of funding models. One is grant money, to where you're basically being supported by, like if you look at Grey Wolf, which is a press that anybody would be envious or really happy to be published in. It's got you know sure. high. Yeah. High visibility, and it's also got that veneer of artsiness. Um, they don't have to make any money on any of their books. If you look at the first page of any any uh, Grey Wolf book, there's the whole page is thanking all of their donors, including Target Corporation. That's the first one on top. And if you happen to live in the state of Minnesota and you're a writer, you've got a huge advantage over everybody else in the United States. They There's so much money given to arts in Minnesota um, it's just an awesome state for that, um, and it's an uneven playing field, put it that way. They've got book awards and grants all over the place, and other places have nothing. Um, <clears throat> but Grey Wolf is funded, and so it's the board of editors, whoever is – it's their personal just taste. That's what comes out of that, and the public doesn't matter. There's no sense – I'm sure they think about, well, this might be popular. To me, it seems pretty artsy-fartsy sometimes, and I haven't loved every book that's coming out of that press. I haven't read every book, obviously. And the other model is selling books to make your money, and that's just pure market forces. And I don't like that either because you, that's when you end up with the Fifty Shades of Grey as the best grossing book ever or whatever. And yeah. it's just, you know, the, the taste of the masses is not – often lead to good art. And so, I don't know, what do you, 
what do you choose out of those two? Or is there another way? I don't know what the other way is, except maybe reading fees, you know, which is crappy. And you talk about a home field advantage in Minnesota. You know, those those home field advantages are, are everywhere when people are considering considering writing. You know, everybody's the thing that that moves writing is knowing the right people and getting in the right areas. And I, I think, again, word of mouth and letting it kind of trickle out and, and having a fan base already established is going to be supremely helpful, more helpful than submitting to some place in Minnesota where you know, a group of people already have it wrapped up because they have personal preferences that are on the home field. I don't know. Yeah. Damn. So it's a bleak picture. It's bleak. <laughs> it's bleak. It's dark. What's the solution? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to get more people reading. Well, nowadays, you to get, like, a book deal, you need to have a, a public already. Um, yeah. And I guess that's what you're saying. That's Holly exactly is. what I'm saying, because I also think about, uh, what is it? Um just fan fiction yeah. in general. And I didn't 50 shades of gray start yeah. off as fan fiction. It was twilight fan fiction. Yeah. I mean, they're marketing in, a, in, in a social media way where they're, it, that's essentially word of mouth and they're not paying uh, to be seen. They're relying on the people to do their work for them. Um, and as a result, you have some of the, if I do say so myself, some of the biggest pieces of garbage put out, into the literary universe and i'm not i mean look if i i would sell my soul in a heartbeat if if somebody said you know what write 50 shades of gray you're gonna be a millionaire yeah i'm for sale i would have done it um but it's still it's it's i think you would have done it better though i might have done it better (laughs) but i you know i guess my point is is that um you don't have to be good to get published you just have to have people behind you yeah. Yeah. And, and I actually like this model, Kelly, that you talked about with the Sun, the way that they're sort of supporting you. You know, they found a writer that whose voice that they like, and they're, they're I don't know if they've got like a first look deal with you or any, or if, if it's that formal or anything, but I know a lot of magazines do. Um, and that's a, that's a good way to do it, too. So then people who read that magazine, they know that there's like a stable of writers that are going to come through there, but it's generally, um, it's not only aesthetically going to be the same, but in many cases, it's actually the same people. Yeah, the sun works like that. They kind of have a stable. They they basically want you to keep submitting once you get in, um, and I think they also probably read their fan notes. And I think that people can fall out of the stable and new people come in, but generally they like to cultivate their writers. I think, and um, they've they basically ask. They say that if if I submit something, it'll go to the top of the stack. And they'll read it pretty quickly, and they would like to read it without it being a simultaneous submission initially. And they'll, and if they feel like I'm getting, if I'm getting impatient, they haven't heard from them for a couple of months to contact them. You've so they're got real, the end. You've got the end. Yeah, they're good about it, and they haven't taken everything. They've taken about fifty percent of what I've sent them. I just send them everything, and they, and good. a fifty 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 percent rate is pretty darn good. So it's not like it's just they're can't wait for the next thing I write and that it's everything I write is just so amazing. But, um, anyway, yeah, yeah they're cultivating your, I mean, they've got a farm team basically. Yeah. That's a good way, way to put way it. you win world series is. Yeah. Okay. Have we covered it? Have I think so. It? We don't like submission fees, right? 
we don't know. think submission fees are fair. We think it it preys on uh, people who are most vulnerable in the uh, in the art community. It also, to some degree, means that only people that already have money can play. That's exactly what I was exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. You can have yeah. somebody who's maybe not as invested yeah. in the artistic merit of of the craft, but they just happen to have, you know, five hundred bucks burning a hole in their pocket. Oh, and they also, you know? I know people that have money just hire assistant who sub, who submit everything for them. And especially after they're famous, they, they can do that. Right. But even before, we should do another topic, the topic of money and how it really, the writing game is an elitist kind of, yeah. you know, um, economically elite. Like a lot of the writers that we love and that are great got there because they get to write for 15 years without ever having a job yeah. nobody really admits it it seems like it's a secret and there's still <laughs> this idea of the starving writer but most of them aren't starving usually they're pretty comfortably middle class or often <laughs> in the upper classes where you get to move to new york without a job for 15 years publish an article in the atlantic once a year and then pretend that that's what how you're paying for your condo you know and uh anyway Topic for another I don't know day, perhaps. if you guys uh, watch the Gilmore Girls, but uh, they have just released these four new episodes on, on Netflix, and I was able to get through the first one. I was sort of a Gilmore Girl fan at some point in my life, and uh, just, you, you know, they the, one of the characters is a writer, and the way that she, the luck that she has writing, she, you know, she got a piece in the New Yorker, and uh, she was talking about a kill fee she received at the Atlantic Monthly. Well, that's just what happens to some writers. It's just, I, I just, I mean, I know it's a television <laughs> fantasy, but it was it was maddening to watch it. Yeah. All right, as we as we wrap it up, what are you guys working on? What are you reading? Um, I actually am working on a an analysis, a feminist analysis, uh, regarding rape in uh, film right now, sexual assault, and the male dynamic and the female dynamic in film. I mean, it's not it's not light stuff. I've been doing this for the last couple of weeks got some great books i'm reading a book called um let's see what is it men women and chainsaws by carol j clover oh. um it's a really good read and in fact i believe that was one of the books where she has a really great opening introduction that talks about stephen king's carrie and uh has kind of his uh a great quote where he discusses the um the feminist perspective within that movie and i'm a huge film buff so i'm i'm loving it but yeah the topic is is really it may it may you know it's making it it's making it difficult for me to i sat down to watch a movie the other night and it's making it difficult for me to to watch a movie and be completely unattached from from the um the underlying themes within that movie is it is it um impacting your writing as well are you uh are you writing something uh working on any art based on this or is it too early for that i'm actually working on um i just started a, a book i'm very excited about and um it it i believe it has spurned or it has kind of spawned that um that book and it's it's mm. going to be it's a book that has a very unique format um i'm just really i don't want to share no, uh, you know, we'll I don't give it away. on the podcast what it is, but I'm very excited about it. You only need one, and I think right. this might be the one. So Woo! I'm very excited. 
Yeah. Wow. Yep. I know. I'm going I think to you're Disney. ready. Yeah. I'm going to Disney World. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kelly? Maybe. Oh, let's see. Um, I got, speaking of the sun, they wanted, and speaking of our topic last week, the sun sent out a call for submissions to their um, contributors and anybody, actually, um, where they want to have writing that somehow addresses the political situation and in uh, the United States. And so they just kind of went for a, we, we should do something. And so I had this essay that's been sitting around and it's, I feel bad saying it because I like to pretend like I, everything that I write gets published. I'm, I don't go, <laughs> Hey, I've been sending stuff to the New Yorker. Just can't, because then when it doesn't show up there, then I have to go, yeah, they didn't, they didn't no. take it. <laughs> but anyway, it's a piece about um, this uh, brief, but intense romantic tryst I had with a young woman who turned out after we were quite kind of entangled to be a hardcore, not just a hardcore conservative Christian, but a professional lobbyist Ooh. for a f traditional family. And she was married and oh. we were <laughs> so, wow, sleeping with the enemy. Yeah, that was it. It's uh, <laughs> that's so anyway. I tried to make sense of that whole thing and uh, in the context of our divided political country. And so that I kind of spent some time trying to get that right. And how did you make sense of that? I'm just giving you like a brief glimpse. Oh, it's called. Oh, you got to buy the sun. You can't just tell you now. It's called love. <laughs> it's called love your enemies. Uh -huh. the, uh, and that's what nice. the Bible tells us. Uh, and okay. <laughs> <laughs> I digress. <laughs> Uh, you know what? It just in a real general way, a lot of people people are are the way they are, or they have political beliefs they have for a lot a really wide variety of reasons that are not quite obvious to us when we just don't believe that way. And it, so it seems in, like people are crazy or dumb or something, and they're not. Uh, a lot of it has to do with childhood. Um, the way that we're raised has a lot to do with who we are, and it's very hard to transcend our childhoods. Um, and so I think part of her didn't, she didn't want to be that Christian conservative, you know, in certain ways. And that, I think that had something to do with why she was attracted to me. And I think in some ways I was wanted to get out of my bohemian wandering, sleeping on a futon on the floor, moving from place to place year after year. I was like 35 years old and still living like a 23-year-old, you know, and I wanted to get out of that. And so the essay is trying to get at that. No reason to buy the sun now, I guess. I just pretty oh, much, uh, you know, <laughs> no, it, except for, yeah. yeah. So that and, um, that and reading, I read a, uh, a book. I started, I read the Kindle sample, Dan, of the book that you I recommended. Um, I read the sample and I liked it. I liked especially that these little vignettes didn't have a plot. And right. I, I plot has become a kind of um, oppression to me lately. Like when I start feeling like I'm in a plot, I don't. I lose interest, which is right. strange. But um, that's just kind of where I am in my reading right now. That's why I like right. essays better than yeah. fiction at this point. I'm just. Um, but I I read it, but I didn't buy it because I just, I can't take, I need a break from listening or reading about New York City or seeing it on movies and seeing like right. 
Oh, right. the deli on this avenue, and then we're and I'm looking at at the brownstone on this. I'm just like I don't want to hear about the brownstones and the yeah. delis and the street names and numbers anymore. I just let me away from that for a while. So I instead I bought um, a guy named Poe Ballantyne. He's one of my um, kind of cult writer. Doesn't he's not famous, but he's awesome, and he's got like cult fame. And he has a new collection of essays, and they're not—they're essays. They're just stories. They're short stories that are true about him. And it's—he's huh. lived this really wacky life, where he's just wanted to be a writer and didn't since he was a little kid. And he thought that going to college would be selling out. And so he's been like he's taken greyhounds around the country for like thirty years, and then stopping in weekly hotels that are cheap, and then getting jobs that was like dishwasher or shorter order cooks and now he's like well into his 50s and that has gotten him to where he is now which is he's from san diego california he lives in shadron nebraska oh uh, i saw a documentary on this guy yeah poe ballantyne that's right the howling right. plains of um terror love and terror on the howling plains that's of right. nowhere okay. is uh but anyway he has a new collection called guidelines for mountain lion safety and I could just read him like story after story, just as, and he is everything he writes ends up in the sun. And this issue, the December issue, his story is right before mine. And mine is the last story in the whole issue, which I tell myself is the one that they think is the best. Yeah, that's better the than better than Poe Valentine's. And if he's listening, that's right. <laughs> I just threw down the gauntlet. <laughs> and no so yeah, uh it's a great book i love be it with your hero no it is neat yeah. i'm trying to i sent him a copy of my book he never responded that's how much of a fan i am and uh so uh, that's what i'm reading how about you dan cool uh i i went back to uh sand county almanac which i i read from time to time whenever it gets cold it feels like that's a good it's a good thing to read sit by the fire and read it although it's I don't have a fire going, but um, I don't know if you've ever read it. It's uh, just sort of observa nature observations, and uh, I'm grading a lot of papers, so I can't. I don't have headspace for anything too yeah. heavy or something that I haven't um, read before. Yeah. Um, and then the, the writing, I'm still. I think I mentioned last week that I've been revising this novel that I was working on. Yeah. Um, I, I've been getting, but for a while I've been complaining to Molly, my wife, that um, I haven't heard back from all these agents that I queried. Well, this week I heard back from three of them, and um, I, I missed the days when I wasn't hearing back from them because uh, they were all, of course, negative. But uh, the funny thing is, is that, um, and Kelly, I've mentioned this to you in the past, that I thought the, the beginning of my novel was shaky and that it gets a lot better, and I was just hoping that people would get past the shaky part. Um, but so all the rejections are saying that they like the beginning, but that it, it ends up not going <laughs> in the direction that, that, that they think it should. So I'm having to deal with that. So that's what I'm working on is trying to figure out if I'm going to rewrite this or if I'm going to just move on to something else. And in the meantime, Sand County Almanac is soothing me, soothing my jangle It's called nerves. Sand County? Sand County Almanac, okay, yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry about the rejections. I, yeah. I've been there, man. I've got some. Yeah. I've got some novels that never made it. Stains. Not yet. It's part of the you game. know what? When we get famous, Dan, they're going to be begging for all the old novels that we have sitting around. And oh, uh, good. I've got a bunch of them. So. So and as far as the, you know, you thought the beginning was bad and that, or 
shaky or whatever in the or that it started slow maybe and that the end was where it gets good and they thought the opposite right it's a pretty small sample and you don't know who actually read it and you don't know if anybody actually read past page 50 because that's a pretty convenient way to just say that you just didn't feel like finishing it you know what i mean yeah, that's a good point. I, I always, I usually take it with a grain of salt, you know, when they say this story is fantastic, but we just, you know, it's just not what we're looking for at the moment. We don't want to print fantastic stories right now. So <laughs> I, I usually I'm better about that stuff, but um, lately I feel like my intent has been damaged a little bit. So I'm sort of, I'm taking it a little bit more personally mm. than I have in the past. I don't know. And, and it, it does. It's not depressing exactly. I always liked when I got rejection letters when I was younger because it felt like, you know, I was part of something serious. I was part of some big endeavor. And look, somebody at the New Yorker took the time out to send this tiny slip of paper in the envelope I sent them. It 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 didn't feel bad exactly, but this is a little bit different because maybe because I spent more time on it. And um, I think email, the, the fact that it's electronic, is it's a little bit different at being on your screen. So it has a different feeling. I don't know. Maybe I'll put yeah. it in an essay and uh, have you submit it for me to the sun, see what happens. Sure. But this was a lot of fun. I look forward to these Saturday morning talks yeah, a lot. Too. And uh, I apologize for being on the phone. Next week I'm coming in the studio to see where you guys awesome. are Yeah, you're going to like it in here. It's cozy. Are there snacks? No, you we can, should. We can bring some snacks. Snack. Yeah. Some radio friendly snacks. All right, guys. Yeah, man. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Special thanks to Augustana College and WOG Radio. This program is produced by Gabe Tucker with funding from the Augustana College English Department and theme music by Subatlantic. You can reach us on Facebook at Personal Rejection Letter. See you next time.